Thank you, Natalie. <clears throat> yeah, I did wake up this morning uh, first with the feeling of, ugh, I feel terrible. And second, a profound sense of disappointment because I've been looking forward to preaching Jonah 4 because in many ways it is the climactic chapter of the book. And there's a, a beauty and a richness to Jonah 4. So I did test for COVID, and uh, it was negative. I wouldn't have come if it was positive. Of course, it could be positive, so I'm just trying to keep my distance. Also, uh, Kendra and Cambria are both feeling rotten, too. So pray for the Carpenter household uh, there. wanted you to, to think about this morning, when was the last time that something didn't go your way and you were really upset about it. Like you were angry, like you were bothered. Maybe, maybe you were upset with someone else, right? They were responsible for it not going your way. Or if we're honest, right, sometimes would you say with God that we're a little bit like, hey God, did you forget about me? I thought you said you love me, I'm your child, so forth and so on. It doesn't seem like you're treating me like your child. I remember uh, a number of years ago with a friend, we'll call him John, and he was a fellow pastor, but he was looking for, um, he was a colleague, and he had just kind of let me know that he was looking for another job, and he had zeroed in on this position that was out of state, and he was super excited. He had been going through the search process, um, and there was a number of candidates, and so um, they were, I think they were down to two or three candidates, and I met with John, and John said, unless my radar is way off, I'm very confident this is God's plan for me. And it just kind of rung like, ooh. There seems to be an overconfidence, but I didn't quite have the relational ca capital with John to go, that, that seems, aren't there other folks that are praying about this possible position being God's will for them? Shouldn't you hold that with a, a little bit more humility? But I really didn't have that relational capital, and quite honestly, I was like, boy, maybe he, maybe he zeroed in on the voice of God a little bit better than me, right? So I'm just going to bless him and prayed for him, prayed for him to get that position. A month later, I met with him. <clears throat> He did not get the position. In fact, he had started moving plans. He had started looking at houses. And he didn't get the position. And, and he was somewhat distraught, maybe a little anger there, a little bothered by that. And, you know, I didn't speak into that. I didn't feel like God was calling me to speak into it. But I knew that God was teaching him some lessons. And actually, he taught me some lessons through that perhaps overconfidence of John. Jonah chapter 4 is a, a chapter of unmet expectations, and Jonah gets mad. He is upset. You're going to see he's so mad, he wants to die. That's how mad he is. And yet, in somewhat of a humorous way, and really a beautiful way that the God of the universe, the God who is over all things and has created 
all things in heaven and on earth, he takes the time to get up close and personal with Jonah. Right? Jonah could have ended in chapter 3. If you're, if you're there, if not, turn your Bibles there. If you look at the last verse of chapter 3 that we read last week, it's when God saw that they, the Ninevites, did and how they turned from their evil ways. They saw, he looked from heaven, saw the, the real repentance, the real humility. They said, perhaps, right, sackcloth and ashes, even the king, from the greatest to the least, he sees this repentance, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction that he had threatened. Boy, if it would have ended there, happy ending, quaint story of Jonah. And yet, Jonah is not only about the Ninevites. Jonah is not only about this abundance of God's loving kindness. It's also about Jonah. It's also about his individual soul and relationship with God. The Christian faith is not just about this global movement of the love of God, as Scott was talking about in communion, that he empowers us to move this love, but also God wants to be up close and personal with you. He's mindful of those disappointments. He's mindful of that anger. He's mindful of all those things in your heart. And as gives testimony, Jonah chapter 4 he doesn't be like, boy, he was the most annoying prophet in the history of the old time. I'm so glad I'm done with him and kicks him out never to be used again. No, God lingers with Jonah and teaches Jonah profound lessons. And I think he wants to teach you and I profound lessons. And praise God, I feel better than I have all morning. So maybe it's the Holy Spirit. I know people have been praying. So let's read chapter 4. So God relents chapter 4, but to Jonah. Uh-oh. We're back to the but Jonah. Right? He was uh, chapter 1. God's on the move. God's on the plan. He loves the Ninevites. He wants to send Jonah, but Jonah. Finally, from the belly of the fish, he learned some lessons on mercy and grace. Reluctant obedience, perhaps, but Jonah obeys. Now we're back to but Jonah. But to Jonah, the fact that God relented it's, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? Oh, he's sharing a little bit of the discussion that happened in chapter 1 that we weren't privy to. This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish, the other direction. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love. A God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life. Can you just imagine this? <laughs> take away my life. Take away my life. 
It is far better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied. He lingered. He's not letting Jonah just stew. One question. Is it right for you to be angry? Jonah doesn't want to answer. Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. See, he's hoping that God will come to his senses. (laughs) He's hoping that God will figure out that the Assyrians are terrible, terrible people, and they need to be held account for their sin, their violence, and wiped from the face of the earth. Now, pay attention to the word provided. It's repeated. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head, to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. I love Jonah's very emotional. I would say that God speaks to Jonah through his emotions. But at dawn, the next day, God provided in his graciousness and kindness a worm, (laughs) which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided in his graciousness and kindness a scorching east wind. Mm. And the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be far better for me to die than to live. (laughs) But God, he asked another question. Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? Jonah does answer this time. This is my paraphrase, but he says, yes, It is, he said. I'm so angry. I wish I were dead. Third time for dramatic effect. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals. End of the story. Like the prodigal son parable, it ends unresolved. It ends with God, with Jonah, who still wants to die, and will he join God in his work of loving the world? That's the question. Just like prodigal son, it was the elder son outside of the party. The the father says, I love you. All mine is your, all I have is yours. And yet join. And the question is, will, will the elder son join? Will Jonah join God's work? Will you and I join God's work? It's unresolved. 
Now, as I was reflecting over this passage, there was just four, I would say, primary lessons from the book I have for you in your bulletin. There might be more. I'd love to hear more. If there's other lessons that you hear from the pages of Scripture, hear this, pray about it, pray over it, and then seek to learn those lessons. Here's the lesson number one, which we've talked about this, is that obedience is a crucial aspect of faith. That is really a truth that is happening from the beginning, opening verse of Jonah to the end. See, there's this tension in this four chapters, is why does Jonah run? We're not told. Just said he hears the voice of the Lord, he goes the opposite direction, he ends up in the belly of a fish. Why did he run? We're told that he, why he runs. It's from a discussion, and he was frustrated. Look at chap, uh, verse 2 of chapter 4. <coughs> Excuse me. He prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall. He thought, boy, if he won't go, the Ninevites might not be saved. Poor reasoning, God could have used another prophet, but he doesn't. That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. So what's Jonah's issue here? Does he have a false picture of who God is? I don't think so. I think he has an incredibly biblical picture of who God is. In fact, this is when God reveals himself to the Israelites. At key moments, it reflects this, this discussion of saying, I am a, a God who's compassionate and loving, abounding in love. I love that. Abounding in loving kindness. Look at your neighbor and say, abounding abounding. This is who God is. This is his heart. He loves the world. He cares not just about the children of God, Israel. He kills, cares about the, the, the Ninevites. He, he cares about every single people group and language in the world. And Jonah knows it. He knows it. And so Jonah's issue is not theology. Jonah's issue is obedience. That's his issue. Now we saw, and apparently, after being inside the belly of a fish, he learns reluctant obedience, yes. And maybe you could say that's better than nothing. But really God's heart is not that we would be reluctantly obedient, that we would be wholehearted in our obedience, that we would do it as an expression of love, that we would say, God, okay. Especially in the times when we don't get it. See, I find oftentimes when, when people have run and stepped away from the faith, if you unpack their image of God, oftentimes 
it's a very poor image of God, right? It uh, can be a stern God, and he wants to slap our hands as we color outside the lines, all of those things. And yet that's not Jonah. Jonah knows exactly who God is, that he's a, abundant in loving kindness and mercy and goodness. And he just doesn't want it for the Ninevites. Again, Jesus couldn't be more clear when he says this in John 14, when he equates obedience with his teaching or truth. Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them and will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. Do you, are you familiar with the word nominal? What's nominal mean? What does it mean? In name only. In name only. I think Jonah is in danger in an Old Testament way is being an in name only child of God. I think for us, we can be in, in danger of being an in name only Christian or nominal Christian. We might believe the right things. Right. Jesus died on the cross for my sins. Could, yep, yep, yep. And yet, if someone looks at our life, there is a core of disobedience that there. We're not living consistently with the revelation of God, which is the scriptures. Would you look at your own life with this application question? Is there any area of disobedience? that you're walking in with your life. Maybe it's greed. Maybe it's materialism. Maybe it's gossip. It's, it's slander. Maybe it's pot and drugs. Maybe it's pornography, sex and sexuality, adultery, fornication. All of those things, right? Are you living, if there's a, a primary area of disobedience in your life, you're separating the truth of God from your life of obedience. That's what Jonah is doing. And God, again and again, in Scripture and in your life and mine, invites us to a consistency of obedience and love that we would live not what we think is right, Take uh, sexuality, which is so predominant, and there's so many different voices about what sexuality is and all that. Not what we think is right, what, not what our best friends are right, not what we've gotten found. Okay, this group of people thinks how I live is okay. No, no, no. Are we living consistently with the revelation of Scripture? In a weird way, Jonah was living consistently. Now, what makes the story so easy. He knows who God is. He just doesn't like it. Well, he liked it in chapter 2 for himself, but not for the Ninevites. And that's what leads to lesson number 2. What, what Jonah is doing is he's missing a primary aspect of mercy. He's missing the mercy of God, not for himself, but for others. The mercy that we have received should be offered 
to others. And when it's not, what, what uh, Jonah is doing in chapter 4 is he's living in tremendous hypocrisy. Right? Belly of the whale, he whacks eloquent, God save me, my prayer reached the, the throne of God, and he, yes, and so, okay, I will go. And then, for crying out loud, he forgives the Ninevites? I thought when he saved me, we had an understanding. Right? You can just see the reasoning in his mouth. Oh, I'm going to preach, but they're not going to repent. Yeah, you can see that. Okay, I'll go. I got you, God. I got you. No. In fact, one of my favorite parables of Jesus is called the unmerciful servant. And I just wonder if Jesus had this had Jonah in mind when he was creating this beautiful parable. It's a story, he says, the king wants to settle accounts with his servants, and there's one service that is deep, servant that's deep, deep into debt. He owes him 10,000 bags of gold. Astronomical in terms of finances, all of this, like he, he would have to win the lottery three times over in that context. He owes him so much, and so the king is going to throw him in jail because that's what you do for people that are d that deep in debt. And, and the servant gets on his knees and says, I'll pay you back every dime. The king knows he can't ever. He says, have mercy on me. And the king has mercy on him. And the servant's fellow servants are like, wow, that is incredible how gracious and kind the king is. Well, then that servant that was forgiven of 10,000 bags of gold, he finds a fellow servant who owes him a, a hundred silver pieces. Not nothing, it's something, right? But he owes him. And he says, grabs him by the neck and he says, pay me back what you owe me. And the, the fellow servant falls on the ground and kind of in very similar words, he says, would you have mercy on me? Would, would you let me pay you back? And the servant that was forgiven, he says, no, uh-uh, in jail with him. The fellow servants that saw this happen were so upset, they tell, tell the king. So the king brings, they brings uh, the servant back in and he says this, then the master called the servant in, you wicked servant. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? Here's the deal, friends. Is if you really get this table that the table of God is mercy, is that Jesus is that loving kindness, that Jesus, uh, the sins of omission and the sins of commission, all the sins we know about and we don't know about, that we've been born into sin when we were praying, we prayed, prayed over Psalm 51, and David was like, boy, I was sinful in the, in the womb at birth. He got that in and out. He, we are broken and we struggle with sin. And to come to Christ and receive his forgiveness is to allow the mercy and the love and the grace of God to be pour over us. And then to turn around and say, you know what, this individual, hurt, Kendra, hurt me really bad. I am not going to forgive her at all. 
That's called hypocrisy. That's what Jonah is doing. In fact, I love how Jesus, or, or Paul says, when you were yet sinners. We didn't, he died for our sins. We didn't apologize, right? We can't bring all these prerequisites to extending someone forgiveness. Well, when he, he apologized, okay. Well, when this individual, when justice is done, then I might consider forgiving, right? No, no, no. We're invited to be a people of mercy. It doesn't mean that we don't want justice. It doesn't mean that we don't want uh, people punished for real sin. But this is a heart issue, not a legal matter. And the heart issue is one of mercy. We're to receive mercy from the throne room of God, and then it's to flow to those around us. And what Jonah was doing is he was stopping the flow. He was mad. Friends, what many of us can be guilty of doing is stopping the flow of mercy to us. Ave just shared a story. I hope it's okay, Ave, that I share the story. Right? She just said a word of kindness at a grocery store or some kind of store. And uh, she said, you're all by yourself. Take your time. The woman came out and said, what? What, what, what's, what did you say? You're all by yourself. It's okay. Take your time. The woman started to cry. Friends, do you get it? Like the gospel is a message of mercy and grace. And no matter how horrible people are, God still loves them, wants to forgive them. Bring them in a personal relationship with him. And he wants to empower you to be that message of mercy. So friends, I do ask you, is there any area where you're blocking the flow of mercy to others? Lesson number three is a little bit less, a little bit less obvious in this. And I tried to word it this way. We'll see what you think. The kingdom of God or salvation over nationalism. Salvation or the kingdom of God over nationalism. So just a little reminder from chapter 1, the Ninevites. Uh, Nineveh was the capital of Assyria. They were the big bully. They were the, eventually they would conquer the northern kingdom of Israel, right? So actually what Jonah is doing is he is being tremendously patriotic. His nation, whom he loves, he wants to bring down the primary enemy of Israel. That's why he runs. And, and he knows that, that God is going to love. He's, what is he? Abounding in love. He knows it, right? So he runs. He's like, no, no, no. I'm doing this for the good of king and country. I'm fleeing the other way that maybe our primary enemy. Do you know where I'm going with this? What Jonah is doing is he's putting something over the grace of God. 
that he's, he's missing. He's, he's allowing, in this case, nationalism to override God's agenda in his life. Friends, just, um, I was thinking of the book of Acts. The book of Acts is so tremendous of the growth of the early church and the work of the Holy Spirit and so forth. But all through the book of Acts is the church learning what Jonah is missing. The church learning that he doesn't just love one people group, that he loves every single people group. And Jonah was allowing his patriotism to get into the way of the agenda of God's love. Thinking of Cornelius, when uh, the first full Samaria, they're like half Jews, so that was an issue, brings salvation. But Peter is a devout Jew like Jonah, and he's got to get a vision three times over to, to go to a Gentile house, Cornelius. And he goes into that, and so apparently, and also Cornelius received a vision of an angel, and he sends men, so they, so they needed this supernatural work to take place. It happens, he enters into a Gentile house, He's preaching. And guess what? The spirit falls. And they receive salvation. And, and Peter says, well, I, if, if they receive the spirit, then we've got to baptize them with water. This is Acts 10. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers, those are the, the Jewish believers, who had come with Peter, were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit, like Pentecost, Acts 2, had poured out even on the Gentiles. Peter gets in a little bit of trouble with the church back in Jerusalem. They say, hey, that's not kosher, literally. <laughs> and he tells them about the Spirit, and they go, okay. So, friends, I think today we need to apply that in certain ways. So, racism. The kingdom of God has absolutely no racism in it. The ground at the cross is level for Jew and Gentile, slave and free, men and women, black and white, if there's any, and there is some history within the church of racism and justification through scriptures, which are wrong understanding and application of scripture, there should be no racism in the kingdom of God in our hearts and in the church. Amen? Amen. Here's a second thing. Is... I think that I'm noticing that some Christians and some church churches I would call are off mission. They're talking more about politics than they are Jesus. They're talking more about positions than they are of the love of God and salvation. Don't get me wrong, positions are important. I want us to really experience, as I've said before, uh, understanding of scripture, I, I know, uh, and how it relates to all sorts of issues, from, from abortion to immigration to 
And actually, as elder team, we're, we're praying about what does that look like. We're, we're doing some reading about how do we, what's the role of the church. So we're, we're really saying, what's the role of the church? But it's my desire that wherever people are on the political spectrum, they would be able to pursue Jesus here. We'll talk about political issues. We'll, we'll wrestle through some of those things. But I want to stay on mission. And that is that God loves every tribe, every nation, every language of people. He even loves your enemy. And if they hear my voice as so divisive, adding to the divisiveness, adding to the anger, adding to the judgment, and then that blocks them from hearing a message of the mercy of God, well, then I'm off mission personally. And our church is off mission. Can I get an amen? Amen. 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 All right, ask yourself this question. Are you in any way off mission? Remember, we, we started Jonah with this divine invitation. Luke 15, God is inviting us through the prodigal son. He's inviting us that his agenda would be our agenda, that we would be telling people about the love of God. And the question is, are you on mission with your life? Or is there something, whether sin or or nationalism, whatever that is, is that getting in the way of your testimony of the love of God for all people. And here's the final point. Great, you people are going to be like, I hope he's sick every week. We end early when he's sick. <laughs> oh, thank you, Natalie. <laughs> This lesson number four is super important. Quite simply put, I think Jonah is learning that he is not God. This is not his show. This is not his deal. This is not his agenda. This is not his world. It's God's, God's world. God is the creator and we are the created, period. And God is big enough we get to come with our complaints and be upset and all that. He, all through Scripture, he invites us. The, the prophets are, are some of the whiniest people in all of Scripture, right? They're, uh, uh, right? And God deals with it. But at the end of the day, think of the question. Are you right? Think of this. He, so he grows a plant. Jonah's got the shade. And he's like, are you right to be angry? <laughs> yes. But he knows he doesn't. He didn't tend it. it. It's God's plant. He built that. God is concerned. Don't you hear his heart for the evil Ninevites? He is like, I care about these people. You have done nothing, Jonah, to grow this nation, to grow this people. You don't get to be whiny and complainy. It's not your world. This is not your nation. These are not your people. 
Will you accept this? I was thinking of uh, Job, and Job is far better than, than Jonah, right? He's, he, he doesn't sin in his response. You read all the way, 38 chapters uh, of, of God, uh, of Jonah's, uh, Job's friends going back and forth, back and forth. And then here's the starting question. When, when God finally shows up, he says, Who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? These aren't your plans, Job. These are my plans. Actually, I created you. I knit you together. I have plans and purposes for you, God says. Are you going to choose the plans I have for you, the way I knit you together, the gifts I gave you? Or are you going to whine and complain? And again, I love that that it ends unresolved. You know, I would say this was a big difference in my personal prayer life and general life is when I used to pray in such a way that I laid out my agenda before God and asked him to bless it. Do some of you still pray that way? God, here's my day, and I'd really like it if you cause things to go my way. If you could do that, and this, and that, and this, great. Boy, when I started saying, God, your will be done today. Lord, how, how I, I, I've got uh, meetings on my calendar, I've got events that I've got to do, and yet, God, really, I, I want you, you delight in giving us the kingdom, so... I want to see your kingdom come and your will be done on earth. Would you please help me not get in the way? Would you please help me to hear and discern your voice? And would you please help me to obey, to cooperate when I discern what you're saying and doing, your ways and your will in my life? Let's pray. just like to give you a little bit of time between you and the Holy Spirit and what this he might be saying to you individually. It might be related to one of the four lessons that we share. It might be completely something different, and, and that's the Spirit working. So would you just open your heart and say, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me through this beautiful chapter 4 of Jonah. Maybe it's an issue of obedience that you've allowed uh, disobedience to just uh, an issue, just take root in your heart and your soul. And you want to lay that before him and ask him to uproot that disobedience in your life. Maybe it's the issue of forgiveness. Maybe it's the issue of mercy. 
You're blocking the, the flow of mercy from your life to others. Maybe you've held on to unforgiveness, a, a brother, a sister, a parent, a child, a close friend. Maybe you've even uttered the words, I will never forgive you for this. That's not a, a kingdom perspective. That's a perspective of the world. Who do you need to bring before the Lord to say, as I have received your mercy and forgiveness, God, so I extend it to this individual. Maybe you're off mission. You're so busy with things and so preoccupied with your own life that you've allowed work or, or family, maybe very good things, but you're off mission. You're, you know that God is abounding in love. You know his gospel is the most incredible message on the face of this earth, and yet you're not leveraging your life and your words to share his love with others. What is it that's causing you to be off mission? And then finally, what percentage of your life are you living your own agenda, what you think is right, what you want to accomplish, what are your goals? What's your will rather than God's will? God's plans and purposes, God's agenda. Would you stop putting yourself in the center of your life and put your creator your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, at the center of your life. Just take a little bit of time just between you and the Holy Spirit.